You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Well, good morning to you. My name is Jamin. If I haven't met you, pastor here at 1208. Thank you, Brian, for all those announcements, including the one about tithing, which we will now preach a message called Don't Tithe, the most dangerous message I've ever preached in my life. But I think it'll make a little more sense as we go along. There are ways this could go horribly wrong for me, trying to give you a biblical understanding of tithing, or it could go well if you get a biblical understanding of tithing. I have grown up like uh, many of you in the church my whole life, and I've heard lots about tithing, and the general principle of tithing is what? Give 10%. And uh, I've just generally followed that rule my whole life, but there was something always that kind of stuck out to me, like is this, is this still like the New Testament understanding of what tithing is? And so um, I've done a little digging. I wanted to um, bring us into this conversation so that we could understand it better from a biblical perspective so that it can illuminate our hearts to actually give correctly and to go from there. So don't tithe. Here we go. Uh, Heads up. Part of this message is personal because we're preaching through things that are um, in line with what 1208 is praying into. But the entire message is applicable to you whether you go to this church or not. Here's two prayers that we're praying into. Thursday's prayer is that we may pay off all our debt this year of $30,156 for our land contract and $5,151 for the taxes we owe on the city's reconstruction of Greenwood Avenue right out here. That's a tax that we have to pay because they fix it, or maybe tax isn't the right word, but uh, a, a payment that we have to pay to keep the roads going. It's a city rule here in Jackson. Now, debt in and of itself, we all take on debt, right? That is just the way that life goes. And sometimes the church today is like so focused on getting rid of debt that sometimes we think of normal debt as like sinful. That's not the reason that we're praying into these things. The reason is, uh, as a small church, we struggle to pay bills. And one of the things that would free us up a lot is, of course, if God did a miracle to cure $35,000 of our debt, which for some places is a lot, like us, and for others, not so much. So we're praying into that. Pray for a miracle. Ask God to do something. Ask him to move. And it's a dangerous prayer because he might come for your pocketbook. You never know. Uh, The other prayer is Saturday's prayer, that we may surpass our 2023 bare bones budget of $64,958. Jamin, why not just say 65K? That's basically the same thing. Because we can be that poor sometimes, that when we make a budget, 50 bucks actually can make or break us. So that being said, this is not a thriving kind of mentality of a church. And that's what we want to pray into for the church to be able to thrive because the church is called to do ministry. And unfortunately in this world, if you want to do ministry to some extent, you have to have the funds to pull it off, which means you have to not tithe, but do something even more extravagant. But let's start by understanding tithing. So next slide. I want to give you um, a look at the Old Testament purpose of tithing. I read this book this week, Why Christians Should Not Tithe. I, was, I don't know why I even decided to buy this book. 
uh, A History of Tithing and a Biblical Paradigm for Christian Giving. It is the most repetitive book of all time, but the, the meat within it is, is very good. So when you look at the Old Testament, people tithe for a few reasons. Number one was to support the religious leaders. In the Old Testament, a tithe was never money. Did you know that? There is no money being tithed in the Old Testament. So we've already got a disconnect with how we look at our church today when we use the word tithing. In the Old Testament, they lived in an agrarian culture, which means they're all farmers. And so they are on God's land. God has loaned it to them as a landlord. And God has asked every single person that lives on his land to give 10% of what they get what they grow, of their crops, of their animals, whatever it is that they farm, to give 10% of that to the tabernacle in town. And there's a reason that they do that. It's because the Levites run the tabernacle. There are 12 tribes in Israel, and the Levites were not given a very um, positive prophetic word back in Genesis. Does anybody remember this strange passage? Back in Genesis... Levi was one of the ones who basically led like a genocide within a country that just like he he did some horrible things. And so when Jacob looked at Levi, he's like, you know what? You and your brother that led that revolt, you guys, you've got evil in your heart. You are not going to um, prosper in the same way as the rest of your brothers. So Levi, Levi was attributed a different way to serve in the community down the road. God was not willing to say, no, I'm just going to leave him off the, um, I'm not going to take care of Levi or anything like that. God looked at Levi and said, no, I'll find a way to make this work. So God raised up Levi and all of his descendants, known as the Levites, to mediate divine space between God and his people. That means, unlike the rest of the tribes of Israel, The Levites didn't get land. So therefore, they couldn't grow crops. They didn't have animals. And they would die if the rest of the community did not take care of them. So part of the reason that you brought 10% to the tabernacle was so the Levites, who had no food otherwise, were fed by what you brought in. That was the food that they would live off of. So number one, you support the religious leaders of Israel by tithing your 10% into it. Number two, you support the government. The government. In Old Testament times, uh, the priests actually were a part of the government. If you had a judgment case that just like the normal judges could not figure out, guess where you went next? To the priests, because their job in life was to study God's law, to understand how to pull about justice, And so if a really difficult justice case came up, the Levites were the one that you were ultimately going to end up in front of because they wanted to mediate what God wanted to say to your people. And so they were a part of the government, and the king would, in a sense, take part within the tithe and things like that. You remember the story of uh, Joseph in Genesis? Joseph ends up being second in command to Pharaoh, and one of the things that he ends up doing is taking people's Um, food and stuff. He certainly goes way too far with what he does. He doesn't tithe. He literally robs people by the end of it. But Joseph takes a bunch of people's stuff to try to delegate it to take care of people-ish. I mean, he turns them all into slaves, so it's hard to really say he did a good job. But 
he did help many people survive through a famine because things came in that he could delegate back out to keep people alive. Number three, Old Testament purpose of tithing, to serve the poor. So let's say you have a field, and it's your field, you've grown it, but it's also God's field because he's the one who's provided the rain and all these things, and he's the one who gave you the field in the first place. 10% of your crops were to be left untouched. Why? Does anybody remember? To glean. Jesus does this in the New Testament where he's walking through and he's hungry with his disciples and they all just take some food to eat because they're hungry. As though Jesus might have been struggling with poverty a little bit or something. The same is true in the Old Testament. There were plenty of poor people in Israel. There was not supposed to be, you can go back to our first message on this series, because everybody was supposed to take care of each other to make sure there were no poor but we also know that things are going to go wrong in life because it's corrupted with sin, and some people are going to end up poor. In that case, God wanted Israel to provide work for the poor. So 10% of your crops were left untouched so that the poor had work to do. They could go out and make a living off gleaning what was left for their own lives to feed their family for the rest of the year. So tithing in the Old Testament supported the religious leaders, who otherwise would have died. It supported the government, which otherwise would not have been able to help people. And it served the poor, who otherwise would have been starving to death. And then fourth, it also established community. People were working together. They were pouring into it. You remember in the book of Acts in the New Testament, one of the first things that happens to the early church is that they established community with one another by giving all their stuff away. They just pull it all into one thing so that they can love on one another and really take care of one another. In the Old Testament, sometimes we get confused by some of the rules that are there, but it's rules like these that when you understand them in their own culture and context, it's rules like these that were really about justice. That's what law is supposed to be about if it's done right, right? Now, if they had given money, guess what would have happened? capitalism, more or less, right? The priests would have got super rich and they probably would have held on to a bunch of it and they would have then become the bankers in society and then they would have been corrupted by the money, which happens in the New Testament with the priests by the money, and then they would just be loaded and become bankers living off of all of your interests, which they weren't even supposed to charge in the first place. God didn't do it that way. He set it up in such a sense that they lived off of something that was constantly redeveloping itself. Yeah, you grew crops, but guess what you got out of crops? Hundreds to thousands of seeds to plant more crops. It's a replenishable resource. Money runs out. Money can make someone super rich over everyone else, but food always has a chance to replenish itself. So God is taking care of people and, and watching over them in this sense. That's the Old Testament purpose of a word that we use called tithing. Tithing is not in the New Testament. In fact, it seems like people might have still been giving to the tabernacle in the New Testament, which means giving to your church might have been something beyond giving to the tabernacle in the New Testament. So, the Old Testament principles get mixed into New Testament giving, which is what we do here in the church today. First off, when you give, just like in the Old Testament, it supported the priests, through a tithe. In the New Testament, your giving beyond that kind of tithe 
went to support the local church. So pastors, its members, um, it took care of the poor, uh, it take care of staff and, and things like that. Paul actually gets into a lot of this where he's all, Paul was reluctant a lot of times to take money from people because he didn't want them to think that he was just there for money purposes. But he still would constantly tell them, like, it's not, it's not sinful for you to pay your pastors and take care of your leadership. That's something that they need or they're going to not make it. But Paul often went the extra distance to show them like he wasn't there just to get rich off of them because pastors have never got rich off their churches before, right? Am I right? No, they have a sarcasm in case you missed it. Okay. Paul didn't want that impression. So Paul, who had a side job in tent making, often continued making tents everywhere he went so that he could raise up the funds that he needed to keep doing his ministry. Another reason that he kept making tents is because he ran into a lot of rich, lazy people. People who had basically trust funds. They were living off so much money they didn't have to do any work. And Paul did not like that that was the way in which they were thinking and living out the gospel. And so he showed them, look at me. Do you see how busy I am? And yet I am still working, maintaining something to keep it going. So the rest of us, let's not get slothful and live in laziness, but let's invest in what God is doing in even the secular realm of business like tent making, right? Okay. Uh, second principle from the Old Testament to New Testament. In the Old Testament, it helped the kingdom thrive. In the New Testament, it helps kingdom ministry thrive. So here at 1208, we get calls all the time where people need money. And yet we don't at the moment have a lot of money to give them because we don't have the income to support it with our bare bones budget. There are many outreach projects we would love to do, and yet we don't have the money for outreach projects, and so ministry can't thrive. Last year, I bought, so this, this, here's a real-world conundrum when you're doing urban ministry. When we decided to relaunch, I decided to fix one, two, three, four, five can lights. Five. That meant I needed five light bulbs, and that cost me 60 bucks, which was like, 25% of our facilities budget. <laughs> and I had to make a real decision. Are these light bulbs worth the 60 bucks to make this room brighter? You can tell they're not on. Um, so actually, I did make the decision. I bought the wrong light bulbs and wasted 60 bucks. So like, there's an example of like, crap, that really went horribly, and it could have gone better had the money been available. Churches have to move forward in some way, and obviously the church is people, not a building, but if we use this building for ministry, which we do, on a more regular basis than we ever have in our ministry here so far, then we need the funds to keep it going. All right, number three, helping the poor. Helping the poor. Churches are made to help the poor. Jesus says, if you don't help the poor, then you didn't help me and you're not getting into heaven. It's a pretty, pretty intense statement to make. But Jesus believed that serving the poor, regardless of their reaction to it, I've seen it go good, I've seen it go bad, I've shared those stories in past weeks, regardless of their reaction to it, you are still to help the poor and love them and take care of them. And the church has always been at the forefront of that. Today, we often think of government doing all of that work. And it's good because the government should be doing it too. I think that's biblical. But the church has always been at the forefront of taking care of the poor 
all throughout history. Have you noticed that hospitals are named St. John's? Have you noticed that orphanages are made by uh, Lutheran society, things like that? We have these Christianese names on our services to the poor because if there was no church doing those things, the poor would have not been taken care of over the centuries. In the earlier days of the church, it was not uncommon that someone would have a baby, not want to take care of it, and they would leave it on the side of the road. And then a Christian would come by who was currently nursing at that time, and they would take the baby in, in a world where you don't have formula, and they nurse this baby like their own and bring them into their family or find a place for them to go. That's because the church has always been at the forefront of taking care of the poor. If you do not take care of that baby, you did not take care of me. And you need finances oftentimes to take care of the poor. Do I have a point four on this one or is it just a three? Okay, so point four, again, established community. We already talked about that in Acts. So here's a question, though. We've got giving in the Old Testament known as a tithe, but then we have giving in the New Testament just kind of known as generosity. So is our generosity supposed to be 10%? This is where I think we need to be careful. So I've been helping a single mom for a long time. Yes, she has not been making good decisions, but also, yes, she is um, stuck in the system. Her life struggles to move forward over and over and over again to the point that I did the math. I think over the last like few years or so, my family has given her like $1,000 to try to keep her moving forward because if we don't, she's going to suffer and she's going to struggle. And I know there's a lot of ideas about how you take care of the poor, should you give them money, things like that. A lot of times the increments that she asks me for is like, I'm stuck at a gas station. I don't have gas to get home. I need $5. My kids are at home. What do I do? And it's, it's usually micro transactions like that to help out. Now, after doing that for three years, I eventually said, look, I, I'm not a bank account. I don't have this much money to keep pouring in all the time. So let's meet so that we can go over your budget so I can understand what you're going through. We meet. We go over her budget. She gives me every bill that she pays every month. She gives me her income, and we go through it all, and there is not enough space to pay the mandatory things that are in her life versus the things that she brings in financially. Except for one optional mandatory, many of us would say today, the Internet. And I'm looking at that, I'm like, you're just, you're going to have to cut this bill. Like, I know you want internet. We all want internet, but you're going to have to find another way for this to work, either the library or something else, because this is not like one that you have to have. It's one that you're paying for so that you can just, you know, have that kind of life that is standard to, to most of us, but it's just not fitting into this budget. And that means when I'm giving you finances, when you're asking for gas, like I'm really paying your internet bill, which is optional, instead of actually helping you where it needs to be. And so we went from that conversation um, to her plugging into a bunch of classes in town next door community action agency to figure out how she could help. Now, here's a, here's a question for you, though. Like, if, if we got rid of that internet bill, we had just a few dollars remaining for her to make it perfectly through a month. Should she be tithing 
Should the church be oppressing the poor so that they can make their fancy ministries go further? Would it be right for Jamin's salary to go up while that woman no longer has gas money? I'd say not. Because you know what? Money is not a replenishable resource. You don't grow it on trees and then plant it back in the ground to grow more. The domination system of this world is not interested in you thriving as much as it is interested in paying you just enough that you won't revolt against them and they can get by legally. Money has a cap. Whereas things like food, which they tithe in the Old Testament, does not. It generally reproduces itself. And so here's the question that we have to face. Is 10% the right thing to be talking about? In a case like hers, no. Now, you could say, Jamin, she has to just be faithful. God will provide. And I agree. We have all heard those stories where somebody gave money that they didn't have, and God poured it back into them. That is seen in the scriptures as God's faithfulness to us when we are dealing in those kinds of struggles and we give all we have. You remember the woman that Jesus saw who was putting all of the money that she had in the uh, temple? And she did that, and it was only like a penny. And yet Jesus was like, that was the greatest giving. So I don't want to discourage giving when you're in a tight space. I don't want to discourage that. But when we get into this place where we say, you just got to have faith, give the money and God will provide. Well, that's prosperity gospel stuff. And that's the same thing as wanting a miracle. And miracles do happen. But it's essentially the same thing as a person who has, has cancer. They're dealing with cancer and they're saying, well, I just got to have faith and God will heal me. It does happen. I know many stories where it has happened. One of my mentors prayed for a girl with cancer. The cancer went away. Someone here had a tumor on their heart. We prayed for it. They came back next week. It was gone. Things like that. Yeah, of course. I believe in healing. I believe God can do those kinds of things. But does it happen every time? No, and we all know that. And when we give all the money that we have, hoping for the miracle that it will somehow just magically return to us, like, again, we're, we're hoping on a miracle that may or may not happen. Because oftentimes, the way in which God needs to bless someone with money is, wait for it, through all of you. <laughs> when someone comes up to you and starts telling you, I'm just so desperate for money, that's God saying, pull out your wallet. What? Jesus said that when you see someone begging, give them the money that they're looking for. And I realize we can't apply that every moment or we'd all be begging. But Jesus looked for generosity. So if it's not 10%, then what is it? Jamin, here's where it gets risky. You're telling us all we can just give whatever we want. Yes, I actually am, but let's clarify that a little bit. Next slide. In this book that we've been going through, mm, what time is it? Let's, let's skip this passage. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15, if you want to go, th uh, you can go through the whole passage. If you want to go through that later, it's like two paragraphs, and you'll notice that Paul uses a lot of key words about the way in which people should give. But I'm just going to go to the bullet points of the kinds of things that you see all throughout the New Testament. There's 21 principles. I'm not going to share them all with you because many of them have overlap. So I'm going to give you like 10. All right. Number one. Those who live for the gospel should live from the gospel. Paul makes his case many, many times that it is not a shady thing for a pastor to be served um, by the congregation that they serve, simply because we all do work and it all um, 
comes back to keep us going. Paul's not thinking that pastoral ministry is somehow different from that. Uh, next up, each lives according to his own ability. Your finances for every single one of you in here are different. And so the way in which you are living is going to look different. And you can recognize that that is the case. You do not need to think that we are all somehow social, socially, economically the exact same person. We are variants in that. And so Paul recognizes, or Acts recognizes, that everybody has a different ability to give. Not tithe, give, be generous, right? Next up, you're to give proportionate to your income. That does not say you give 10% of your income. You are giving proportionately to your income. So what's dangerous with money and the Bible is that the Bible actually recognizes that when we keep money for ourselves, that should be invested in things like taking care of kingdom ministry and things like that. That's kind of voiced from the Bible as like robbery of God's money. It's the same with the crops. So when the Israelites did, did not tithe 10% of their crops, because at one point they actually were like, we don't like doing this, we don't like the people in charge and the decisions we're making, we're not going to do this anymore. Um, God actually judged them very harshly, and he said, no, that, that's actually, you know, that, that's stuff that you're supposed to be giving regardless if, if you like what they're doing at the top or not. So give proportionate to your income. That is not 10%. That is between you and the Holy Spirit as to what makes sense in that regard. I hope you all realize, I realize I'm the pastor preaching this message, and you're maybe feeling it as a Jamin's trying to take my money. I'm preaching all this over me, too. I mean, for most of my life, I've just been the 10% guy. And if this message is doing anything, it's trying to convict me. Are you sure you can't do more? Okay. Number four, give regularly. It was not just uh, something in the Bible that you did once a year and you forgot about it or ministry would have failed. So you give regularly. Next, uh, sacrificial giving is commendable. There are going to be times where you might want to give, but you know that that's actually going to take something out of you. That's commendable. It's not always necessary, but it's commendable. Next up. Giving is not by commandment. There's nothing in the New Testament that is like, thou shalt give to the church blankety blank. But it's a willing mind. God loves a cheerful giver. You've heard words like this before. God has always been interested in your heart. The prophets came and they saw sometimes that Israel was following the rules. They'd practice the right festivals and things like that. But God would say, your heart's not in this, and your festivals stink, and I don't want to have anything to do with it. God is interested in our hearts. If our hearts aren't there behind that money, then we're actually running into difficulty uh, spiritually. Do not burden yourself financially. Hey, there's a good word. You ever been about to tithe, and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills this week if I do this? The Bible tells you not to burden yourself like that. Make sure that you can pay your things. I realize I just said that um, it's commendable to give sacrificially, but you don't always have to burden yourself if you know that things are tight right in that moment. Next up, trust in God's providence. He can provide. He is willing to provide, and his deal with Israel was if you tithe, I will bless you in return. Number four, giving is a matter of generosity. This is, I think, if you wanted to sum up the whole message, it's that one. How does the New Testament church give? generously. It's actually a fruit of the Spirit. That word goodness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
Goodness is better translated generous, which means the fruit wants to grow generosity inside of Christians. In fact, some people actually have a spiritual gift of generosity. You know how earlier you were just praying, God, give me new gifts? Sorry, some of you got one. <laughs> that was funny. Come on. All right. All right. Generosity is, is one of them. And uh, so bountifully, reap bountifully. What you reap, you sow. We see that in the parables as well. Have any more? Give cheerfully, not grudgingly of necessity. We've talked about that one. Share liberally with others. And that brings us to the end. I know I'm going a little late. So in the end here, your messages don't tithe because that is not a New Testament function. That is an Old Testament function. Tithing was created for a different paradigm than the one that the church lives in. It's not food. You're not keeping the government going. You're not keeping um, the priests. Well, you're keeping ministers in line, but you're not keeping priests necessarily in line. It's a different paradigm. The New Testament paradigm is as Christians, we're called to be generous, and we need to ask the Holy Spirit what that looks like. That girl that I talked about, seriously, maybe she should give a penny. And Jesus would smile at her and say, she gave even more than she was supposed to. Wow, I can't believe it. If you have to call me for five bucks, it means you don't have a penny on you. But then there's those of us who might have a fortune, and God might be looking at us and saying, you're robbing me. What are you doing with all that? And I'll tell you, as someone who is, has... Uh, lived in somewhat low income, middle class at least, for a long time. Uh, we have not had savings in our life for probably until COVID hit and they gave all those savings out of nowhere, <laughs> all that money out of nowhere. We had zero. We were just making it paycheck to paycheck. If you have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars lying in a bank account because you're scared that something is going to just destroy your life in a moment. I get it. Things can go very wrong. But I can tell you as someone who has often lived paycheck to paycheck, God provides. And God can take care of us. And we need to find that fine line with the Holy Spirit about what my income looks like, what belongs with him, what belongs with me, what's in my savings, what's keeping me going. Because ultimately, if we're all giving to the point that we're all poor, then we're not bringing about... Um, then we're just giving money to the church to take care of ourselves because we've now entered into poverty because of it. All right, I hope this makes sense. If you want to read that book, don't. It's super repetitive. I gave you the good bullet points. But I'll give you the final three appendices, which pretty much summarize the whole thing, if you want. Um, otherwise, I know we've gone a little late. Thank you for staying a little later. It's now kingdom ministry time. So Mark Edwards is leading a new book study. Does that start today? No, Bible study today, but he's got some books if you're interested to learn more about that. Joel will be up in this room up here for, who, Kayla? Joel and Kayla will be in this front room if you need prayer. If you need clothes, if you need food, that's the kind of stuff that we love to give. Come talk to Shantae. Shantae's raising our hand. She's our newest intern. She'll be over here for a little bit. If you need food or clothes, talk to her. She'll connect you. Children's ministry in the back. We love you. We'll see you soon. Catch you later. Thanks.